Hail and well met, adventurers, and welcome to the Audio Armory, an exploration of weaponry through the ages. I am your local bard, Emily Cardamus. And I'm your local blacksmith, Elizabeth Belts. You did it! I did! I can talk now. <laughs> I'm so How bad with words. <laughs> How are you today, Liz? Oh, I am a whole nother level of not here <laughs> yeah no so, so apologies in advance listeners uh both liz and i are rather rather sniffly because yeah. it is um the weather is terrible and at least on that's a, that's the my excuse on my end i don't know what liz's excuse is um my life is terrible yeah and and we just sound we just sound like i sound like i'm half asleep probably and it's because i am and let's it just oh, sounds like i have something shoved so far up my nose that it's kind of poking around my brain which is preventing me from talking like a normal human being but that's normal you normally can't talk like a normal shut human up being. <laughs> shut your uh, face so what are we what what are we going to discuss today liz in in this here uh shop we're going to discuss rapiers yeah. Oh well, then I guess I guess we better get to the point then, huh? Leave. <laughs> no, I live here. No, I live here in your okay in this weird fantasy outside of reality blacksmith shop. Um, I I live on the top apartment. No, no, you live in the barrel of hay that is outside of my shop. That's that what I, I call that, the top apartment. No, get no you. No, you it's, have it's become, I, I, a, you've become a nuisance homeless person. And I, it's it's getting to be time that I, I contact. But I hung the I, sign and everything. I hung the sign outside of the barrel yeah, that says yes, top apartment. Yes, and it's it's a very beautiful sign. It's it's the best sign. But you're kind of driving away business. But don't don't. Why doesn't? I mean, I think everyone loves my beautiful lute music. I, I, I can't play the lute, but I'm sure everyone loves it. <sighs> You're offending me by not responding. My feelings are hurt. <laughs> anyway, maybe we should get started. No, never. <laughs> well, let's talk about the rapier a little bit. Um, basically, as stated in the terrible pun, it is a long needle-like blade. Um, but there's typically a very complex hilt design that acts as a guard, typically a dome-like shape, um, and that was used to protect the hands of swordsmen. They were intricately designed through um, chiseling or even inlaying brass. Um, in cases of those who had a lot of wealth, uh, opal, gold inlay, and different stones could even be set into them, which was a rather intense act to do, but you know, if you really wanted to shell out that money. And and you're saying, like, these would be set into the, like, into the dome part of it. Like, not like how you typically think of setting a stone. It would be, like, weird, like, almost like embed in these sort of uh, covers. Well, it kind of depends on the stone. Now, there's some of them just that just have, you know, maybe one or two stones set into it that are rather large. And those are typically bezel set which is basically there's a thin piece of wire that wraps around it and keeps it in place but it, i actually came across a rapier that 
had basically encrusted fake diamonds all over it, including the grip, which is completely impractical, but it was used only for ceremonial purposes. I was going to say, that sounds like something that's just like, look, it's shiny and pretty. It's basically something... a... It's bling for your sword. Um, <laughs> you bedazzle like, your sword. <laughs> bedazzle them jeans, bedazzle that sword. It, it matches. Right right there with your bedazzled Uggs. We don't I had an art best. teacher who had bedazzled Uggs. That's gross. No, she was the best. Well, her taste was gross. Well, <laughs> to each to each their own. <laughs> that's... I wouldn't wear them, but she rocked them, and that's what matters. Okay, I'll give her that. If she can rock them, then she has she has a skill a lot of people could never obtain. <laughs> the blades were specifically designed to thrust for combat, um, and that was because of its slender build. But. Um, even though they were a lot more flexible than the broadsword, they were also a lot more brittle, especially when it came to doing any kind of swinging motions, because that's not what they were built for. They were built to specifically go in and out. In D&D terms, this is a piercing weapon, not a slashing weapon, like a, like a broadsword would be. Indeed, you nerd. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. I'm going to burn your apartment now. I'm just... Oh. I'm, I'm going to your I like this. I like this barrel. It's no, nice and comfy. No, it's I'm, it's go, It's going out now. Like, the hay gets wet when it rains, and that's kind of cumbersome, but, like, you know, it's rent-controlled, no. so... Well, you know what? It's, it's gone now. You've lost your privileges. Aw. You've lost your hay privileges. It's okay. I'll I'll uh, I'll find a nice wheel wheelbarrow. Stay away from my barrels. I use those. No, it's a wheelbarrow. It's different. A, wheel, a wheelbarrow. A wheelbarrow. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, um, basically, rapiers were used for um, dueling. Uh, they didn't really have a whole lot of purpose outside of it at the start. Um, but when they started... Sort of, a, so, sort of a Weehawk and Dawn pistols drawn situation. Yeah, only, you know, not pistols. They were... They were swords. They were stabby sticks. Yeah. Um, is it a technical term? I don't know. Oh, you know. really? Yes. Stabby sticks. I see. It's a trade secret. Mm-hmm. No, no other blade has, has this name. Simply because, I mean, it's it's slender build. It's, it's specifically stick-like. I see. Uh-huh. So. What about a stick that you stab someone with? What do you call that? A sticky stabber. Oh, gosh. I'm my my novice my novice. Uh, Come on, Emily. Knowledge is obviously showing this is, today. It's it's basics. <laughs> basics. Get with the program. I gotta, I gotta go back to school. I gotta go back to, to stabby stick school. Get educated. Stay in school. Don't do drugs. Start of rapiers. Um, believe it or not, were derived from broadswords, like everything else, because mother broadsword is life. Um, rapiers had uh, narrow blades, like more narrow than your typical broadsword, but were still bulky. Um, and we're still rather heavy uh, in comparison to what we now envision them as. 
but they originated from uh, Spain and Italy, actually, as a more casual blade that could blend in with your attire and basically become a street weapon for uh, defense. I know, right? Imagine a rapier as a street weapon. Dude, no, you don't think... Like, it's the most gang- gangster shit. You're my bread from me? On guard, sir! Like, what the heck? It's the most gangster shit. Don't you dare. Don't you dare insult the rapier. What the? Like, I can't even picture that. Just, okay, come with me, folks, on a journey. A magical, magical journey. journey. A magical journey to a far-off land. I want you to envision. We call Spain. I want you to envision you know, your stereotypical medieval era. You're in a town. Imagine a man in fluffy pants and a very nice vest going into the market. Wait, how nice is that vest? Pretty nice. Like, it's it's not top quality, but I mean, you can't saved say up. We're a clean podcast. Darn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty dang nice. There you go. You can just go over that for me. Just nope. I'm gonna leave that whole part in. <sighs> oh, God. Anyways, back to my magical journey. He's got a sweet vest, and he's he's in the market. He just wants to buy, you know, a pretty hot smoking loaf of bread. Cause I mean, the baker just just made that. It's so delicious. How could you not? And the dude comes up and is like, "Hey, yo, you owe me two bucks or two gold." coins i should say for like i don't know that time that you lost that bet against me you know the one or maybe you don't you were pretty drunk that night and he's just like no way dude i want to buy that bread and he's just like nah dude you owe me that money and so they get into a sick fight and this is historically accurate this happened does one of them die does one of them die yeah probably in the market Uh uh-huh and then they sell the corpse that's how medieval times worked. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Well, or, well, first, they take all of his stuff and then sell That's how the restaurant medieval times works. You go there and you die and then they sell your corpse. And you know what? You know what? You know what that chicken is? <laughs> I hate the fact that we're so quickly revisiting the nasty chicken, but... Turns I think out the nasty chicken. chicken is officially just... It's what? not chicken, it's people. If you didn't have such a hatred towards medieval times, maybe we uh, want to keep circling maybe back they shouldn't, to this. Maybe they shouldn't, shouldn't have slighted me in 8th grade. You'll never let this go, will you? Mm-mm. What were we talking about? Uh, rapiers in Spain. Oh, right. Yeah, Spain. Let me see if I can pronounce this. Um, because it was supposed to be a more casual blade, um, the Spanish term for rapiers was actually espada ropera. Meaning Sword of the Robes. <laughs> you said that with such a flair. <laughs> Look, I actually took four years of Spanish. I kind of know things sometimes, maybe. Oh, okay, okay. I tried. You And you did a great job. Thank you. Thank great you. Job. Because the Germans were Germans, they were just like, hey, that's cool, and adopted the rapier. Um, but kept their designs a whole lot more simple um, and focused on keeping the balance of the blade rather than a lot of the intricate designs that you see in uh, some of the Spanish and Italian blades. Um, see, that's the thing about Germans. We're, we're simple, we know what works, 
We're not going to make frilly things about with it. Don't tell me about that time that that one guy built a castle and ran out of money. That doesn't count. Uh, okay. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. I, I, I will appreciate that story because I'm, I'm unfamiliar. Even though they were simplistic in design most of the time, uh, they were still elaborately forged pieces. Um, hilt bars that were made for the basket um, were mainly uh, designed with, you know, the user's hand in mind, but uh, that didn't stop them from doing very intricate weaving and um, kind of twist designs with it. Uh, but the pommels were normally really large and simplistic and spear-like, um, simply to act as balance for the long, narrow blade. But like most sword makers, stamps were always included along the what the fuller, which is basically the groove, like I discussed in the last episode, mm-hmm. of the sword that basically goes down the center of it. I was gonna say this sounds uh, sounds very similar to the the type of thing you were describing in the broadswords episode. Yes, that's basically the best place to find an artist's mark is along the fuller, or if it's not visible, if you were to take apart the sword, it's typically along the tang, which is the seal piece that's hidden by the handle, and that could be like a wooden handle or. Sometimes it's wood and then leather's wrapped around it. It kind of varies mm-hmm. depending. Um, but those two places are the best places to look for when trying to figure out the maker's mark. The most popular use for these swords, again, were the one-on-one duels. Um, but getting more into how the duels were set up, they basically were... They had a set of agreed rules before they went into battle. Um they were not meant to actually kill each other. It was basically... That's not fun. I know, right? Like, you <laughs> you envision this to be like, yes, it's a fight to the death. No, no, it's just like, ah, you ruined my vest. How dare you? Now I have to buy another. It was a... Well, hey, if it's the same vest that we were just talking about, it was a pretty sweet vest. Yeah. So I'd be angry about that. This is true. But, I mean, I could see how you would lose your honor. Because the whole thing was about regaining your honor in a duel. And if, like, if you cut my vest up, I'm going to lose my honor. I'm going to be like Prince Zuko from Avatar. And I'm just going to be very upset and then have to chase a bald child across the world and find out that he's actually not that bad and become good friends. And my sweet vest was ruined. Yeah. And that's the most tragic of all honor losses is the loss of your sweet, sweet vest. Your sweet, sweet vest? Mm-hmm. Your sweet, sweet Sonic vest? Well, that's actually a sweater. I have my it's sweet, true. sweet snowman vest. No, my sweet, sweet... If, if, okay, <laughs> if I got into a duel and my sweet, sweet Sonic sweater was... Ooh, say that five times fast. Was destroyed, I would be genuinely upset. Because I think you would just kill the person at that point, even if not they won. Only, not <laughs> only is that sweater one of my most prized possessions and amazing, one of the most amazing pieces of clothing I've owned, owned, but like so many people have complimented me on that on that sweater. I almost said vest. Um, so many people have complimented me on that sweater that basically I can never get rid of it, and I have to keep it with me forever now. 
Yeah, that sweater is just you. It's it's who you are. So how about we get you? You've kind of uh, you've kind of talked about the generalities of the rapier. Um, how about we get more into like historically? How has the rapier uh, developed in in these different countries? Um, well, basically starting out with uh, the English, the need for self defense ended up becoming more and more of an issue. So the evolution of the rapier for them was more of uh, downsizing the rapier um, and became known as the small sword. So it's like 25% smaller than an actual it's rapier. It's a small sword. It is. It's a little baby. It's a little baby sword. Y- yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little tiny sword. That's adorable. <laughs> well, if, Sorry, if you... I'm just picturing, I'm picturing this tiny, tiny sword. <laughs> I love it. Typically, uh, small swords were more of a status symbol, like everything else in medieval times. Um, a lot of it had inlaid precious metals like silver, um, which was a lot more common in higher class citizens. Um, but if you weren't higher class most of the time, it was just chiseled steel. But if you were really, if you really wanted to get your swag on, you had gold all over that. Mm. All over. Like, the grip, it was gold. The hilt, that was gold. Your teeth, them be gold. No, but that wouldn't be, um, I mean, gold is a soft metal. So, so when you get to that point, basically, you're not talking about something that's like, really effective in protecting you like if the if the guard is made of gold like it's soft like it could be pierced it could be but that would require a lot of force if anything it would give it would bend um before it would actually break unless you were just like hell yeah i'm gonna take an axe to this and go at this guy's hand in which case, I mean, you have more things to worry you about than the health. Yeah, you have more problems than your rapier being broken, buddy. <laughs> exactly. Might might want to look into some prosthetics. Uh, <laughs> and back then, and, and back at those days, we didn't have any. So, Or I'm sure we did, but they were probably wood. No. Fun fact, I actually came across this. Um, knights had iron prosthetics. Oh. They had basically... Uh, iron hands or sometimes arms depending on how badly they were injured oh, wow. and it it's meant to look like their armor so it's like oh okay yeah it's really cool looking very that, like, intricate. makes a lot of sense yeah i mean you couldn't obviously use it like, right it was just kind of there to almost like mask the fact like the fact that it was it looked like it was part of the armor it's it would be like i'm assuming it would be to some extent to mask the fact that a limb is missing yes or a um, part of a limb is missing i guess pretty much it's more of uh just i guess i guess at that point it's just to keep their intimidation level higher because if you Mm -hmm. see somebody missing an arm you're gonna be like well crap i can just go at them like on this side i they Mm -hmm. obviously have a weak spot they can't defend on that side Mm -hmm. um but with that, it's not as obvious as a weak point. Right. But yeah, fun fact about uh, prosthetics in medieval times. It's actually huh. pretty cool. Yeah, that's, I, never knew it. I never knew that, so that's really interesting. Going on with uh, other countries, the French um, actually spread their decorative influence 
through um, the Rocco period, which is like the 18th, late 18th century. Liz, um, I hate to cut you off at the pass. Did you mean the Rococo period? We can take we can take that from the top. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on with the French, um, they spread their decorative influence through the Rococo period, which was the late 18th century. Liz, are you sure it's not the Rocco period? Get out of here. <laughs> Leave. You insult me in my home. Leave. <laughs> this led to more intense chiseled guild decorations. <laughs> not just on swords, but hilts. I've been shamed. Um, what kind of designs would they use? They had intricate flower designs, um, organic plant designs were common, and even helmet designs, which matched the knight's helmets that they wore, like their armor, which was pretty weird. So they like had tiny versions of themselves on the sword, which seemed very... What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, but I just pictured being like, hey, look this is me on my sword and I'm going to stab you with it. And and the tiny me is going to stab you. I love that you just think of these things. I, it's a good, it's a good mental image. Cause first, first it was the baby sword that you were freaking out about. I, well, and now sword. it's like you got a tiny you on your baby sword. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, what? even, I bet if you even get like a really good, like uh sculptor or engraver or whatever, you could have your tiny you carry another tiny sword and then on that tiny sword there'd be a tiny you who'd be carrying a tiny sword and then on that sword and then it just keeps going and going and going layers upon layers the french actually came up with uh, a very popular means of preventing rust which also gave a really cool look to the blade um and it was called bluing the blade which if you want to take a guess at it oh i've actually heard of this before okay cool it's like, because it's like, isn't it some sort of, like, chemical treatment? Like, it, I mean, it's called bluing because it literally turns the blade blue, but isn't it, like, basically, uh, I don't know if it's, like, a way to harden or t- temper the blade. I'm not quite sure, but it, it's it's just, like, a treatment done to the blade to strengthen it. And, and however, like, the chemical you coat it in plus it being heated basically turns the blade blue. Correct, actually. Good job. <laughs> Good job, Bard. I remembered Good a job. thing. Um, yes, it's uh, caused by heating the blade in a solution of potassium nitrate, sodium hydroxide, and water. Uh, and normally that was heated around 300 degrees, and it would leave uh, a bluing texture on the blade, but it was only a surface reaction. It didn't go in deep. So any oh, okay. friction on it would cause it to wear off and then rust could occur again. It's basically the bluing was best used for blades only meant for ceremonial purposes. Um, if it was actually used, it would wear off so fast it would basically be pointless. I was going to say this because I've always seen it done to a blade that's like basically not attached to anything like it's still being made. So like this isn't a process that would happen more than once. Like someone wouldn't like if the treatment wore off from friction, you wouldn't then go in and get it retreated. You were just kind of like 
you know, up a creek without a paddle sort of thing. Basically, because okay. it could have um, negative effects on the other metals used in the hilt, um, mm. unless it was an all-steel blade, in which case mm-hmm. everything would be blued, um, okay. which could be pretty cool if you wanted a blue blade, like if you had an obsession with the color. Um, <laughs> but if it was used with, say, bronze or brass, it could have a negative reaction. Um mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what that reaction could be, but some part of me doesn't quite want to know. Um, (laughs) For some reason, I just envision it exploding in your face or releasing some sort of chemical that would kill you instantly. Yeah. So, probably not recommended. Probably not. Um, But at this time, Blade started to gain a little bit more variation because of the constant influence from different countries. They were constantly influencing each other. Um, some began to actually take a triangular shape, the blade that is, um, instead of being flat and narrow, which um, was a rather difficult means to forge mm-hmm. um, because it was, they were kind of concave each side. Oh, okay. I'm not. It's almost, like you're, it's almost like you're getting a little, instead of like less of a triangle and more of like a three pointed star. Yeah, pretty much. It was, it's a very, like, there are two different variations that have, like, a triangular shape. And one is more of that star that you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. And actually just triangular. Um, Oh, okay. It kind of varied. Um, They have specific names, but of course I didn't write them down. (laughs) Um, We'll We'll do a corrections episode and then we can address these issues. Yes. If anybody has any questions or concerns or it's just like, hey, that's not right, tell us and I will correct myself in a special episode that we can call, sorry we screwed up, here's the right info. (laughs) Because things kept changing constantly at this point, um, Hiltz actually took on an entirely new look. Um, The basket concept was removed um, and actually became very simplistic. A dish um, guard was built instead, um, which is, you know, envision envision a dish, like a bowl, um, that kind of went down, that would kind of kind of encase the hand, but it oh, okay. would only cover, like, the top part, um, like your two, two top fingers there, like your mm-hmm. thumb and your index. Um, and coming off of the dish was sometimes a single kind of bar, sometimes multiple, uh, but it would come down and end at the pommel to act as a knuckle guard. Oh, okay. Uh, like, that's, th- this is sort of like when, um, we, like, we kind of talked about last episode, the sort of stereotypical, like, what you think of when you think of a broadsword. That description of a rapier is sort of like, when I offhand draw a rapier, it's always that, like, short you know, dish guard on the top with the sort of the bar uh, knuckle protector. Like, that's always what you see in movies for the most part, or that's always uh, kind of what I default to when I draw it. So um, it's just interesting that it didn't, that didn't come into play till uh, much later in the, the weapons history. Correct. It happened more around uh, the late 18th century at this point. In comparison to what it used to be, actually really kind of dumbed itself down and not in a negative way it's more of a it was less artistic 
um, it became more practical than it did. More utilitarian than, like, artistry. Correct. But that didn't quite stop people from going crazy with them. I was about to say that, like, did this also mark a turn of rapiers being more used for, for practical means? Like, because it sounds like the designs are getting more simplistic, so... Well, was it was it being used more practically as well, or were they still pr- uh, primarily sort of ceremonial or um, like everyday kind of wear on your side to sort of show that you're not someone to be messed with sort of thing? Uh, this design in particular was meant to be more of uh, your common sword. Okay. Um, your street sword, basically. Got it. However, there were still more complicated swords, but those were referred to as dress swords, which basically was the next uh, evolution in the rapier. Evolution. So it's like... Congratulations, your rapier evolved into a dress sword. Continue. Go. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, go um, ahead. Rapiers actually phased out into uh, small swords um, entirely because rapiers at that point became a little bit more impractical to carry around, and small swords were nice and compact for the times. Um, Easier to hide, I assume, as well. Yeah, correct. Uh, but these swords were typically reserved for military officers, diplomats, and government officials. Um, they weren't meant for battle, but were just a symbol of high status. Uh, tended to have... Um... Ah, I did write it down. Trefo- <laughs> the trefoil or triangular shape. So the trefoil is uh, the concave, and the triangle is well, a triangle um, for the blade shape. Mm-hmm. Uh and hilts were, like I mentioned earlier, encrusted with uh, different stones. Um, or could have mother of pearl set in as the grip. It kind of depended upon um, the location. Uh, different countries had access to different materials. Um, and from country to country, different materials had different symbolism. And strangely enough, around this time... Egyptian motifs started to seep their way into designs because of uh, when Napoleon invaded, he actually had a specific sword design named after him. Mm, And I believe it was called the Napoleonic period. Right. Yes. Um, And it was basically the Napoleonic swords. As creative as it is. Um, (sighs) But they had a lot of... uh, a lot more motifs that were Egyptian or kind of in the style of it, not quite, you know, accurate, but mm-hmm. just a general kind of... It was just like the style of the time. Yeah. It was it was different and it was fancy right. um, for them at that point. But as, you know, the use of swords kind of was phased out by guns... Uh, Fencing actually evolved from the rapiers and small swords um, because dueling was just so popular. It became a sport 
they started schools in Spain and Italy during the 15th century, actually, to train boys to become proper gentlemen. Because you weren't viewed as a proper gentleman unless you... Could stab somebody. Yes, but stab them in a very elegant way. Right. Because... Just, Just enough to mess up their fancy vest, but not enough to kill them. Yes, precisely. Because why wound them when you can wound their pretty vest? Exactly, and their pride. Exactly. Why wound them when you can wound their Sonic sweater? I'm sure Sonic the Hedgehog existed in 17th century France. Uh, Of course. I mean, he's so fast that he could go back in time like Superman. He actually goes back in time in Sonic CD. Wait, legit? Yes. I never actually played Sonic CD, so I don't know Yeah, Yeah, no, Sonic canonically can go back in time. What can't that hedgehog do? Uh, make a good current video game. Ouch. Ooh. Ooh, some hot takes. Some hot takes from your local bard right over here. I might have to quench my hand. That burn was too severe. Ooh, get some some aloe vera for that one. Ow. Uh, anyway, fencing schools. Fencing schools. (laughs) A lot of it happened if you were of higher social rank. Um, and fun fact, they still used sharp blades, um, that's not fun at all. Oh, no, it was great. Um, because people would bleed uncontrollably a lot. Um, yeah, and some, I was gonna say. Some accidental deaths occurred. Uh, <laughs> accidental. Accidental. <laughs> <laughs> accidental deaths. Hardy car. <laughs> um, but it wasn't actually until late 19th century that fencing swords started to come into being. Um, it and- took that long. It took that it long. Took, it took, what, okay, you said that the the art of fencing kind of originated in the 15th century, so that's 1400s, and then fencing swords didn't exist till the 19th century, which is the 1800s. It took 400 400 years 400 for us years. to go, maybe these shouldn't be sharp. <laughs> yeah. It, look, we're a species that likes violence apparently and isn't smart yes yes mainly that so so uh uh fencing foils as it were yes once we started realizing that hey maybe maybe sharp things aren't a good idea to practice with it resulted in a lot more simplistic design for these swords and the blades tended to be rectangular or rounded um they they never came to any vague point shape Around this time, French and British fencing foils were pretty simplistic, but Germans and Italians really wanted to up the ante. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, um, military foils used for Italian militaries to train their cavalry officers actually had um, shallow bowl guards and knuckle guards um, that resembled their actual cavalry swords. So it would be a more accurate tool for training. Oh, okay. Because uh, it had closer balance, closer to weight. To the cavalry sword. Yeah, so it wouldn't be oh, okay. that That's much of a jump from tr- your training weapon to your actual weapon. Mm, okay. Um, Germans actually had a specifically designed foil called the Schlager. Uh, it was multi-bar hilt, um, which actually was a really interesting design because it kind of went back to the original rapier design Mm -hmm. um the hilt was 
really large. It covered the entire hand and allowed for movement. Um, because with the simplistic guard that just kind of had went over your knuckle, it was a little tighter. It was closer to your knuckles. Right. Um, but this was a lot more open, so you could actually rotate your hand in it, um, have more spin to your sword if you wanted to, give it some flair, oh, okay. make it your own. Um, <laughs> right. They kind of, you know, try to include more of movement with their style. Okay. Um, and and so that that not only that not only t- uh, like references the actual sword, but also the style in which they fenced in was uh, different. Yes. Um, okay. Each country kind of had a little different way of going about um, their battle. Okay. Uh, but that's an entirely different ball game to get into. Right. Uh, which we could probably cover at some point. An an entirely different episode at some point. Exactly. We'll we'll get into the details eventually. The short of it, Germans are aggressive. Yeah. They, they, you just, you go. (laughs) Germans go. Yeah. Um, Italians and the English. I'm German, so I I can attest to that. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And you, you know I can attest to that. Yeah. As I frequently flail things. Um. Yeah. But now we have we have fencing today. It's it's an Olympic sport. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And I didn't realize this. Uh, modern fencing foils um, have a pistol grip, so it's like meant to be a gun handle, almost. Oh. Yeah. That's so like strange. you can. What's ho- the purpose of that? I guess to kind of reflect more of modern weaponry. I'm not entirely sure. I just found it to be a very interesting design because it actually looks like you're holding a gun and the blade becomes like the barrel. Um, but you can hold it in different positions. That's just the more typical way to hold it, I guess. It's very it's very odd. Maybe it's because it's easier to thrust in that position. I'm not sure. I didn't quite get the oh, chance to Oh, that looks really it. strange. Sorry, yeah. I just looked up. I just looked up pictures of it, and oh, that's so so weird. It's like this weird twisty like metal thing, and I can see how it resembles like a pistol, which is obviously why they call it the pistol grip. But it, like it gives, it like gives your like the way you hold it is totally different. Yeah, and I think that's it's so strange because it's not it's not what I would have ever have pictured in in holding. Like it makes it. Like, so, the actual blade, like, you're holding it, like, if you make a fist, instead of the blade being sort of par- or parallel to your fist, like, where you'd hold a, a tube, um, mm-hmm. it's, like, perpendicular. That's really weird. Yeah, and I'm wondering if it's supposed to be more like the cavalry sword, because that kind of curves. Mm, okay. Um, but I'm not sure, because... Even then, that's a stretch uh, to go from a gun-like handle to something that's supposed to resemble a cavalry sword because this—they're not exactly close. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe it's just—and again, maybe this is something we get into later—but if it's just literally the positioning of the blade makes moving in competitive fencing it, it, maybe it's like at less stress on the wrist or something 
because I can see like you wouldn't have to bend your wrist as much. True. It would be, it would be more of a shoulder movement, and maybe it's and maybe that's where it comes from. I don't know. I'm I'm. This is all speculation, but that's how as as an artist who often struggles with the fear of carpal tunnel, I can see how that would be a thing. And as an artist with crippling carpal tunnel, that would <laughs> make things a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't have to do a lot of violent wrist movements. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's actually kind of where we're ending up at. It's this very weird kind of handled handle design, but we've managed to incorporate technology into them. As I'm sure a lot of you have noticed when watching the Olympics, or maybe you don't watch the Olympics. I don't know. I don't watch them. Um, I know I'm a terrible person. I'm sorry. The Olympics are fun. I just, I know, I don't know. I never got into it. That's fair. I'm more into the winter Olympics, so I get you. It's always on so late and I just fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's my problem. All the things that I want to watch is just like, congratulations, wake up at 2am. And I'm like, nah, son. Congratulations. You've run a free iPod mini. But yeah, it's fun because they light up when you actually hit a person with it. Cause they have a nice little, uh, the tips have a sensor, which reacts to the suits that are worn. Oh, the okay. Sensors and will actually cause both a buzzer and a light to go off along the side. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, that makes sense. You have to score it somehow. So yeah, that sensor allows, um, you know, you to know that you've been hit. If it isn't obvious that you have a giant piece of metal stuck into your chest. Right. But, you know, sometimes you're in the heat of the moment. In the heat of the moment. I was about to do that, too, so (laughs) I'm glad that you were right there with me. But, yes, and that's basically a a quick summary of the rapier. Cool. In its history. Do Do you have a blacksmithing tip for us this week? I do. I do have advice for all of our lovely listeners. Um... And uh, this actually, this actually is a story you know pretty well. You know? I know. I, I read ahead. Oh, good, lovely, lovely. <sighs> so, advice for everybody: um, whenever you drill, whenever you drill into anything that's metal, especially a blade, do it before you sharpen it. Um, because if you don't, and you go to drill into it, sometimes this, this neat thing happens where the drill bit gets, gets caught in, into the metal, and then it just, it spins, um, especially if it isn't secured properly, which be, sh- be sure to secure everything all the time because safety is, is number one. Um, because, uh, you might end up like I did once at school. When uh, I had to text Emily in a delusional state that I wasn't going to make it back to the room that night. Yeah, please, please picture this. It's like 830 at night. I'm just working and I get a text. Hey, Emily, I'm going to be back really late tonight. Oh, really, Liz? What happened? Uh, I'm in the ER. (laughs) Okay. Like, like, no explanation. (laughs) No, like... And nothing. Just, hey, I'm in the ER. I'm going to be back late tonight. Yeah, well, okay. Understand that at this point, I had been bleeding out for a half an hour as I was arguing with the monitors. I understand. I I know, but I want everybody else here to understand that I had been losing a lot of blood for a half an hour as I was arguing with 
you know, some of the other people that were there in the studio with me about getting to the hospital. They're just like, oh, well, can't you just drive over? Hey, pro tip, if you ever have to be a monitor for any sort of art studio, please, 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 God, please take a first aid class or something. Or like, just come on. Just use Google. Google yeah, even helps. We have we have computers in our pockets all the time. We have I mean, technology. like in this anachronistic uh, future past fantasy blacksmithing shop that and we live in exactly and for me a barrel that i live in i told you to get out of my barrel look i hung the sign up i pay you rent not enough not enough i think so that's gonna do it for us uh this week in the audio armory um i'd like to thank uh the composer and artist for our intro and outro music uh samantha hogan you can find her work at samanthahogan.com and you can find her on twitter at s hogan underscore composer you can find us on twitter at audio armory cast and you can find us personally on twitter i am at corrupted gem and liz is at liz belt that's l-i-z-z-b-e-l-t-z um, and you can also now rate, uh, we're now on iTunes, so um, if you could rate and uh, leave a review, that really helps us a lot, uh, really appreciates it. Uh, I'd also like to give a shout out to the people who have tweeted about the show already, which just means so much to us, like that is super cool, like this is obviously our first time doing anything like this, um, we really appreciate the support. Um, so I'd like to thank... Uh, let me pull it up. I'd like to thank uh, at you pineapple on Twitter, uh, who tweeted about the show and is actually the aforementioned um, friend from uh, last week's or two weeks ago's story. And then I'd also like to thank uh, at yeah Pat for tweeting about uh, the show and uh, giving us a very, very well received great job. And I appreciate that a lot. Um, great job. And, <laughs> and I think that's going to do it for us this week. Um, uh, so, I actually have going off on this um, because I post spine on Facebook and I'm more of a Facebook user than I am Twitter. I uh-huh. would also like to give a special thank you to uh, Mr. Aaron Myers for sharing um, our cast. It managed to get to a couple people, which was really nice. And he was able to help spread our word of nerdism. Oh, I'd also like to thank uh, Marco on Facebook, who also shared the post. That is very, very sweet of him, um, and he is a very sweet person. Um, so, um, until next time, I have been and will always be your local bard, Emily Cardamus. And I will be your local blacksmith, Liz Belts. And don't throw rocks at birds. Yes, please don't throw rocks at birds and stay away, apparently, from medieval chicken. <laughs>